Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for more than 26 years. As per usual, we are broadcasting from the 3CR studio on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're bringing together some of the strands of our previous Gaza-Israel programs, bringing you some Zionist settler colonial statements from way back to the present. And now, with Palestinians in Gaza being pushed into a dangerous and uncertain future. Yeah. We've also been lamenting the undermining of the United Nations in this and other conflicts in previous programs, I think especially two weeks ago. So let's start with Francesca P. Albanese, who is the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestine, Palestinian, I should say, territories. So in this role, her job is to report on or advise on human rights drawing on her expertise, of course, as international lawyer and academic. In her first report, Francesca Albanese recommended that UN member states develop a plan to end the Israeli settler colonial occupation and the Israeli apartheid regime. She has certainly come under a lot of fire um, from the State of Israel and Zionist activists for her observations about human rights abuses inflicted on Palestinian people. Uh, Predictably, um, these critics, Zionist critics, they trot out the false claim that any criticism of the State of Israel is, by definition, criticism of Jewish people themselves uh, and labelling this anti-Semitism and putting this scare on on a lot of people. Mm. Reporting on Francesca Albanese's recent visit down under, New Zealand activist Eugene Doyle quoted her in a piece published in Pearls and Irritations. Albanese told audiences on both sides of the Tasman, and I quote, when I speak of human rights, I speak of both the Palestinians and the Israelis who are stuck in a settler colonial regime. This is what we have to solve together. And Francesca Albanese went on to say, I will always stand with the victim. Israel and the West more generally have tried to silence Francesca Albanese and she has been denied access to Israel and Eugene Doyle explains why. And I quote him again, She is an authority in the detail of the dehumanization inflicted on the Palestinians. She has seen the daily lack of proportionality, the discourse of genocide, the military and administrative controls, the deprivation of sanitary services, food and medicine, the surveillance technology, the casual uh, killings, the financial choking 
of a people, the way the Israelis are eating up Palestine inch by inch as the West looks the other way. In short, more than most people, she understands the structural system of oppression that is denying the Palestinians the right to exist as a people, culturally, economically and politically. She is a humanist and the exact opposite of an anti-Semite. End of quote. So in this program on Gaza and Israel, we want to summarize what we have tried to share with listeners to develop a better informed, a think-again understanding of the situation after the outbreak of the latest hostilities on the 7th of October last year. And I say the latest hostilities. There was many hostilities before. We started by interviewing two Jewish writers and scholars, Anthony Levenstein and Jordi Silverstein. They enlightened us about the broader context of the conflict in November and December last year. Then this year, as the conflict went on in its ferocity, last month and earlier this month, we explored what Francesca Albanese refers to when she says that Palestinians and Israelis are being stuck in a settler colonial regime. Implicitly hinting at the similarities with that other an earlier established British settler colony, the one we live in, Australia. Yeah, and and in the past we've talked about the British interest in the mid to late uh, or in the mid to late eighteen hundreds to support the establishment of a Zionist state as a foothold uh, for the empire in the Middle East to protect its colonial and imperial interests, and then came. Um, the agreement in 1917 between James Balfour, who was the British Imperial Foreign Minister at the time, and Theodore Herzl's Zionist movement. And it, that was the agreement to establish a Jewish-Israeli state in Palestine with the proviso to respect and work towards peaceful living with the Palestinian people living there. And we, we talked about that in our program on the 7th, 2nd of February and, um, and, and as regards that proviso um, working towards peaceful living with the Palestinian people living there, uh, which we, was, we see how that worked out. Yeah, which was the condition really. So let's see how the Zionist activists of the time responded to this, what I call geopolitical opportunity offered them by Balfour in 1917. Just come out a recent French book by Jean-Pierre Boucher and Michel Collomb, which was titled, and I translate the title, Israel, the Hundred Worst Quotes or Citations. It has a hundred statements pronounced by Israeli Zionist leaders, thinkers, strategists, activists and politicians, statements which have been made from the late 1800s onwards after the settled colonial agreement in 1917 and before, and after the formal establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. We have selected some of the explicit statements revealing the real undiluted Zionist intentions about Palestinian lands, anticipating a process now entering its final realization. Yeah, so let's go back to the late 1800s. In 1895, 50 years before the establishment of the State of Israel, Theodore Herzl said, 
and I quote, We shall try to spirit the penniless population across the border by procuring employment for it in the transit countries while denying it any employment in our own country. Expropriation and the removal of the poor must be carried out discreetly and circumspectly. So, and, and of course, um, bringing on that poverty, I guess, helps that agenda as well. And that was said in 1895. This was echo echoed around the same time by Josef Weitz. Weitz. Weitz, mm. sorry, W-E-I-T-Z. Mm -hmm. uh, former director of the Jewish National Fund's Land Settlement Department, which was established to buy and develop land. Oh. It, and the quote, to quote Weitz, mm -hmm. It must be clear that there is no room in the country for both peoples. If the Arabs leave it, the country will become wide and spacious for us. The only solution is a land of Israel without Arabs. There is no room here for compromises. Unquote. And then there is a quote from Vladimir Jabotinsky, who was earlier an Irgun. Irgun was a terrorist organization uh, organized by Zionists to uh, fight, which also was fighting the, uh, the British uh, colonial kind of uh, establishment there. And he was also a founder of the Likud party, together with Menachem Begin, which Prime Minister Netanyahu, the present leader uh, of uh, the government, is also a Likud member. In 1930, Jabotinsky said, and I quote, There is no alternative. The Arabs must make place for the Jews of Eretz Israel. Unquote even if he also saw the possibility of both Arabs and Jews sharing a nation. And in 1938, the future first Prime Minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, suggested, and I quote again, I support obligatory expulsion of the Palestinian population, and I don't see anything immoral in that, unquote. Then in 1948, after the establishment of the State of Israel, obligatory expulsion became the content of what was referred to as the Dalet Plan, Plan D, which was a blueprint used by the newly established Israeli army and its militia forerunners to expel indigenous Palestinians from their homeland. Israeli historian Benny Morris noted in his landmark book on the events of 1948, Plan Dalet was a strategic ideological anchor and basis for expulsions by front, district, brigade and battalion commanders, providing post facto, that means after the fact, a formal persuasive covering note to explain their actions of expulsion. So Plan Dalit, sorry Jacques, mm -hmm. it's a bit of a mouthful. So Plan Dalit mm -hmm. was a strategic ideological, um, formed a strategic ideological basis mm -hmm. for expelling the Palestinians. Mm, that's right. And today such acts of violent mass expulsion would be called ethnic cleansing. And then also in 1948, David Ben-Gurion, first Prime Minister of Israel, said, 
quote, in many parts of the country, new settlement will not be possible without transferring the Arab fellahin. Jewish power in Palestine, which grows steadily, will also increase our possibilities to carry out this transfer on a large scale, unquote. And just showing the, showing the continuities into the present, in 2021, Israeli ultra-right minister Smotrich said in Parliament that Israel's first Prime Minister Ben-Gurion made a mistake by not expelling all Palestinians during Israel's establishment, telling the Palestinian members of Parliament in their face, you're here by mistake. It's a mistake that Ben-Gurion didn't finish the job and didn't throw you out in 1948, wow. end of quote. That's pretty blatant. So let's listen to some further comments from earlier periods of Israel ethnic cleansing. Abba Iban, former Israel, Israeli foreign minister, stated in 1967, and I quote, one of the most important tasks is to prove that the distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism is not valid, yeah. end of quote. And, and don't we see that to this very day? Absolutely. Collapsing, the, um, being Jewish, with being in support of the state of Israel, whatever it does. Mm -hmm. So if you're against the state of Israel, you're against Jewish people. And that's a media trick, trotted, as I say, trotted out right up to this day, even whilst, as we know, so many Jewish people are clearly against the occupation of Palestinian land, and they're horrified about what the Israel state is doing to Palestinians in their name. Yeah, Gold, A lot of them are afraid to speak up too. That's right. Golda Meir, who was the fourth Prime Minister of Israel from 69 to 74, and she was a socialist, she said in 1974, the border of Israel is there where Jewish people live, not where there's a line on a map. Yeah, so, so by definition, if the Jewish people are living there, it's their land. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and that's such views coming from all sides oh, of Israeli politics. Exactly. As will be repeated later by another socialist, as we will see. In 1972, Menachem Begin, former Likud Israel Prime Minister, said, and I quote, The partition of Palestine is illegal. Great Israel will be re-established for the Israeli people fully and forever, end of quote. Mm -hmm. And for good measure, he added in 1982, Palestinians are animals walking on two legs. Which is shocking. Yeah. So obviously, one of the foulest members of Netanyahu's government, Minister of National Security and ultra-right Zionist Ben Gvir, who is very much <laughs> mouthing... Way. Exactly. He really didn't invent anything. It's a long story there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, according to Wikipedia, so I looked up Ben Gavir, and it, and it's widely known. Uh, for he's widely known for his openly racist anti-Arab views and activities. And uh, I should add, Shark, that I heard such dehumanising language describing Palestinians and over recent months mm. in. ABC interviews mm -hmm. with Israeli military figures and not pulled yeah. up by the interviewer. Yeah, absolutely. The Twitter, or what is now called the X-Zone, is full of these statements. 
For a small break of all of this awfulness, let's have a bit of music. Palestine, my homeland. Philistine Biladi by Sata Sultan. You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855 AM on your dial, and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the dire situation in Gaza again. Before the break, we were providing quotes from Zionists and Israeli politicians over time, many of them derived from a book titled Israel, The Hundred Worst Quotes or Citations revealing the stark views on what should be done with Palestinians on the land they want for Israel as a purely Jewish nation. The authors use the testimony from Zionists themselves and comment that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict did not just start to happen recently. And I quote some of their uh, introductory notes, it finds its origins in the moment the Zionist project started to realize itself they say. If one wants to understand the conflict, and a quote again, one has to replace the historical actors in the replace, the historical actors in the long duration of history. This allows us to deconstruct several myths which are often trotted out. For example, the idea that Palestine is a land without people for people without a land or the presumed egalitarian character of the State of Israel being the only democracy in the Middle East, Mm. and that the present tensions are part of a putative war of civilizations. Presumably, Shakab, unquote, presumably against uh, goodies Mm. against baddies. Mm. Yeah, exactly, and we call them the Judeo-Christian tradition, Mm. the goodies and everything else, the baddies. Even socialist and Nobel, Prize, uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner in 1994, Yitzhak Rabin, he has said about the Palestinians, and I quote him, most of them can be chased away. If there would be less of them, it would be easier. It, would, it wouldn't be a human gesture, but war is usually not 
a human affair, unquote. Mm, the big apology. And, and then Ariel Sharon, Israeli Prime Minister from 2001 to 2006, he was speaking about the Jewish colonies in the West Bank and he said, I want the Arabs to see Jewish lights every night five metres away from their front door. Unquote. So that was from Sharon. Some enlightenment. And Benjamin Netanyahu, current Prime Minister of Israel, previously also Prime Minister from 1996 to 1999 and from 2009 to 2021, should have the final word in this selection of quotes. In 2001, Netanyahu seemed to say, or he said, he could twist the U.S. around his little finger. And I quote him, The U.S., I know them well. They can be manipulated as you wish. You know, I'm not afraid to manipulate Bill Clinton. I'm not afraid to confront them or to go to the U.N. And about the several agencies of the United Nations, and again I quote Netanyahu, they put new obligations on the Jewish people. The anti-Semitic decrees of the International Court they state that we are committing a war crime, pure anti-Semitism. <laughs> so great. So somehow naming war crimes is um, by the Israel state is anti-Semitism, um, and which is sort of by definition, mm. you would say that that means any criticism of mm. war. Um, Israel, the Israel state presumably can't commit war crimes because if anyone accused them of that they'd be just being anti-Semitic <laughs> and they're completely without foundation That's before right. the fact. Exactly. In 2002, Ben Shapiro, who is a Zionist political commentator who runs a regular US blog site, he pulled a lot of these ideas together saying, and I quote, transfer is not a dirty word and anything else isn't a solution. So he goes on to explain what he means. And I quote, Here is the bottom line. If you believe that the Jewish state has a right to exist, then you must allow Israel to transfer the Palestinians and the Israeli Arabs from Judea, Samaria, Gaza and Israel proper. It's an ugly solution, but it's the only solution. And rejecting even the idea of a two-state solution and addressing soft-hearted Jews, and I quote again, they don't realize that expelling a hostile population is a commonly used and generally effective way of preventing violent entanglements. There are no gas chambers here. It's not genocide. It's transfer. Transfer. End of quote. Or well, would love it. <clears throat> so here we are. The situation is described by... Mike Whitney, um, also on the World Socialist website, um, under the title, uh, Over a million Palestinians are about to be forced into Egypt at gunpoint. So, of course, we're not, this isn't the quotes in the same vein as the ones we've been giving so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite different. This is the critique. He says, quote, Over the weekend, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu pledged to carry out a full-scale military onslaught against the besieged city, declaring, Our goal is total victory. For this, for the Israeli regime, total victory has meant 
and obviously continues to mean killing as many Palestinians as possible and driving the rest from their homes. And all that with the green light from the US President Biden, unquote. And uh, I should say most recently, the US again vetoed an immediate ceasefire called for by other members of the United Nations Security Council, instead making some uh, watered-down proposal of its own. So, so much for the international rules-based order that it always goes on about. Mm, that's correct, which is actually the order, the, the, the Pax Americana. Mm. Biden initially seemed to be warning Israel to have some restraint. But after the first IDF, the Israeli army attacks on Rafah, in the, solid, the last spot for refugees to go to in, in Gaza, he said that the offensive cannot proceed without a plan for the evacuation of Rafah. According to the Wall Street Journal, the proposed evacuation plan would have to, and I quote now, include establishing 15 campsites of around 25,000 tents each across the southwestern part of the Gaza Strip, Egyptian officials said. They would be funded by the US and its Middle East allies, operated by Egypt. And some of the walls have already started to be built. So, so that's a huge, a huge enterprise, mm -hmm. especially in a short time. And so I guess, Jacques, are you saying, um, in quoting that, are you saying it's going to happen? Or are you commenting on it on its lack of feasibility, or, or the fact that everyone else is footing the bill uh, for Israel's decimation of the Gaza Strip and its people? It is often, it's obviously real because there are pictures of the wall being built, which I have seen the film of. It is a calamitous and impossible situation, bombarding and attempting to expel the whole population. Although, of course, there were antecedents with the 700,000 Palestinians in 1948 being expelled. Mm -hmm. The United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, or UNCTAD, they did a report, a preliminary assessment of the economic impact of the destruction in Gaza and prospects for economic recovery. And they conclude, and I quote, piecemeal, precarious and reversible measures cannot be a substitute for lifting the blockade on Gaza. The vicious circle of destruction and partial reconstruction needs to be broken. They refer there with to the about eight or nine incursions of Israel into Gaza. And that can, that, that uh, cycle needs to be broken by negotiating a peaceful solution based on international law and relevant United Nations and Security Council resolutions, yeah. end of quote. So back to the United Nations. That's and when asked whether the United Nations will participate in the evacuation of Rafah, the spokesperson for the Secretary-General, the UN Secretary-General, he said it would not be party to forced displacement of people, adding that there is no place that is currently safe in Gaza. And, and it's no wonder Israel is not a fan of the UN and would like to act with impunity and without criticism. Um, in fact, Israel doesn't permit UN special rapporteurs to monitor human rights in the Palestinian territories uh, it's occupied since 1967. Mm -hmm. And we are coming quickly to the end of the program. So I guess just to wrap up um, program 
uh, a few of the points that we've been making, um, for, for Zionists to argue that Israel's current assault on Palestinians is self-defence following the recent Hamas attacks on the 7th of October is not only ingenuous, it's wildly historically inaccurate. inaccurate. The elimination of Palestinians from their land has been openly talked about and planned for a long time, uh, dating right back to the late 1800s and throughout the 20th century. Uh, and we have that in the testimony of Zionists themselves and Israeli Israel leaders, which we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the word, and particularly the Anglo-Saxon world, the Anglosphere, is watching silently and supporting, in a way, the, whatever is happening in Israel by Israel. And I think we might have to skip community announcements today, Jack. Yeah, it looks like it. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio. If you want to send us any comments about today's program, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. And remember, our past programs are available by podcast on a variety of platforms and via the 3CR website, 3CR. Org.au. And we will put references and actions you can take to support mm. Palestine on mm. our program page. But meanwhile, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray. Milkumana. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.